During this holiday season, we're using our favorite Christmas hymns as a springboard into some important themes of Advent and going straight to the Bible to rejoice in the reality that Jesus has come and He is coming again. Let heaven and nature sing. These are the songs of Advent, and we are Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. You can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Hark the herald angels sing. That's uh, the what we've been doing in this series is taking themes from different Christmas hymns, Christmas carols, and kind of springboarding off of those themes to be reminded about what it is that Jesus accomplished in His coming, in His advent with us. Today's hymn is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Now I want to share just the tiniest bit of its story with you. There's a man named Charles Wesley. He had a brother named John Wesley. Uh, if you ever find a hymnal, if you go to a church that has a, has a hymnal and you open it up to almost any page, you'll, you'll almost certainly be very close, if not right on a page where you'll see the name John Wesley, prolific hymn writer. His brother Charles wrote many of those hymns with him. Charles, however, went solo on this album and wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing himself. And at first it had five stanzas. So there were five stanzas to this hymn. Do we see there you go. So if you find the right old hymnal, this is actually it with four stanzas. We're, we're, uh, we'll get to that part of the story here. What happened is he wrote the song in, let me get the date right, 1739. So it's an old hymn. So he wrote it in 1739. It's about 40 years before the independence of the United States. It's an old hymn. And he had a friend named George Whitfield. Now, I don't know if you've heard that name, but he was a famous evangelist in that day. I mean, like, super effective preacher. So George Whitfield commandeered the song and kind of rewrote a few of the lyrics, and he actually brought it down to four stanzas, as you'll see it in this. This is an old hymn book just for regular church use. But what happened with the song, the reason we sing it with three stanzas is because in the late 1700s, there was a hymnal. Again, there's no internet. There, you know, like you couldn't just go search up the lyrics for a song, right? So hymnals were like the, the way that churches got the hymns that they were singing. And there was a, a hymnal released, Carols for Choirs, and it was Christmas songs. And in that were only those first three stanzas of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So there's some forgotten verses to that hymn, if, uh, and we're going to actually hear one of them today. George Whitfield wrote it with four stanzas, and we're going to look at that fourth stanza today, that forgotten stanza of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It reads like this, Come desire of nations come, fix in us thy humble home, rise the woman's conquering seed, Bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface. Stamp thine image in its place. Final Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. I love it. I love it in particular because it highlights two of my very favorite themes of Advent. One is the arrival of what my kids call the snake crusher, the one who would bruise the serpent's head. And the promise there 
in the Garden of Eden. And the other is the theme of a better, final, and second Adam. In week one, we looked at that theme of uh, the snake crusher, the one who would come, that was promised in Genesis, who would come and crush the head of the, the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve in the, the garden. This week, we're going to look at that theme of the final Adam, or the second Adam, who uh, comes to earth in the form of a baby child that we celebrate at Christmas time. But we're going to look at a passage where Paul cites this theme of a, of a second Adam in a way that helps us look both at the first advent of Jesus, but also at the second advent. Jesus is coming again, and 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, is all about that. We just read verse 22. You can see in verse 22 that theme lived out again. I'm out of order on the slides, I'm sorry. But verse 22 says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. As in Adam, the first Adam, all die. In Christ, the final Adam, the second Adam, all are made alive. What we're going to see today is that if Jesus, the final Adam, isn't raised from the dead, if there's no resurrection for Jesus, then Christmas is absolutely worthless. If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, then Christmas is absolutely worthless. Now, we've got a lot of traditions that we've formed over the time, and they might still have some value and still be fun. So I'm not saying that you wouldn't have any fun on Christmas Day. I'm just saying from a spiritual perspective, from a biblical perspective, from what the holiday is really all about perspective, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, it'd be, be absolutely worthless. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because... Uh, Paul invokes the theme here in such a way that, like I said, it points to our, the first advent of Jesus, his first coming, his first arrival, while also pointing it towards his second coming. There will be another advent. Jesus is coming again. He more famously, I think, this uh, cites this same theme of a second Adam in Romans. In fact, a, a lot of people go here for the, this idea, to flesh out this idea that Jesus is known as the second Adam, if you were at verse 12 in Romans chapter 5, you would read, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. And Paul will, in that passage, develop out this theme, that Adam's sin brought a curse. First, the, the, the first Adam, Jesus, the second Adam, brings life. Father, today, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul starts, at least the passage we'll read today, with a heartbreaking hypothetical. And I'm just going to read it so you can sigh a sigh of relief, verses 12 through 19. Now, I say that, I may have a couple sentences that I say about it, but it'll mainly just be reading. So, we really only have to preach through about four verses, so you can rest easy. But I do want to read these first seven verses because it, it sets the tone for what's to come in verses 20 through 24. Paul writes, starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, 
How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? The short version is there were people in Corinth saying there was no resurrection from the dead. And he is reprimanding them. He's he's confronting them. Because he says if there's no resurrection from the dead, verse 13, then not even Christ has been raised. Be careful what your worldview leaves room for and doesn't. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 14, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Without the resurrection, not only is Christmas worthless, your faith is worthless. This whole Christian practice, you should have slept in this morning, right? If Jesus isn't risen from the dead, you should have slept in this morning. How, you know, right? Like there's no point in what we're doing if, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. Verse 15, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He's, he's being a little repetitive here, but you get the point. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. You're not free from sin if Jesus isn't raised. Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That's a heartbreaking hypothetical. Some of y'all are looking to being reunited with loved ones who have gone before you because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross who was raised from the dead. And verse 18 says, hypothetically speaking, if Jesus wasn't raised then that hope, there's no hope. You'll never see them again. It's over. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's a heartbreaking hypothetical. That if Jesus isn't raised, then we're wasting our time and there is no hope and there is no freedom from sin. But it's a hypothetical that at least finds its felt understanding in the first Adam. You trace his painful story, you see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said to himself, he, he's in Trinity from, the, from, from before time even began, so he, he said, let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. This is what he tells Adam to do. So he makes him perfect. He puts him in a perfect place and he gives him a job. God blessed him and God said to, to him, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And you skip down to verse 31. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Now, if you follow what's happened so far as the first Adams, he's got an okay situation. He's been placed perfect in a place that is perfect. And he's been given a job by God. Take my perfection, God says, and multiply it out over this whole earth. Bring my perfection to bear everywhere. Bring my beauty to bear everywhere. Bring my glory to bear everywhere. That's his job. (laughs) You know how the story goes, though. Uh, I mean, if you fast forward then to chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, we... See him again. This is the the crucial one rule that God gave him. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, 
You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That's another clue that you have to pick up here, that death comes with sin. Before sin, no death. Right? So what Adam is supposed to do is to live forever in perfection, in the presence of God's perfection, multiplying God's perfection out across the entire world. Chapter 3 is heartbreaking. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He's twisting God's words, by the way. He's good at that. He's going to kind of try to justify things. The woman said to him, she knows scripture, she knows what God's word, she said to him, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. You just made it sound like we can't eat of any of the trees in the garden. That's not what God said. God said we can eat from all of them. But there's one tree, he said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, and he's been saying things like this ever since, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. How nice would that be if we could be in control of this whole darn thing? Didn't have to submit ourselves to a higher power. Right, like we could just do our thing when we want to, how we want to, no consequences. Free from the sovereign power of God. That's what Satan promises. You can make your own choices. You're worth it, right? Just do it. Maybe it's Maybelline, right? Or whatever. You know, like, like the, 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 my point, the lie still echoes throughout the world. You don't need God. Figure this thing out on your own. And they bought it. Hook, line, and sinker, man. They ate the fruit. And if you fast forward to the end of the curse that God spells out and Chapter 3, you read in verse 19, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You ever heard this at a funeral? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Wasn't supposed to be that way. But because of sin, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam, the first Adam, was supposed to multiply perfection through the world. Multiply glory throughout the world. That was the gift he was supposed to give to the world, but instead he gave us sin and death. And that's our big brother, Adam. By one man, Paul says in Romans, sin comes into the world and death by sin and death passes upon all, for all have sinned. What we said week one of this Advent series is that the rest of the Old Testament, over half of the pages in this book, are are a story of of people waiting for another Adam. Waiting for the second Adam to arrive and and to fix everything that the first Adam messed up. It's a story of people waiting for Christmas. Christmas comes. Luke chapter 2, that famous passage, right? Like we know that story. Jesus, Adam number 2, lives as God in the flesh. Jesus, the snake crusher, dies in the place of ruined sinners for our redemption. 
crushes the power of Satan and sin and makes it possible for us to be made right with God, or as the hymn says it in that lost fourth stanza, be reinstated by His love. To be reinstated into a relationship with God. This is the gospel. This is the message of salvation, that because of Adam, we're all out of luck, and there ain't nothing we can do about it. We are separated from eternal intimacy with God, but God so loved the world, that famous verse, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That the finished work of Jesus on the cross is enough. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But what Paul says, and what he's getting at in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is that if there's no resurrection, this is worthless. None of this matters. Verse 19 again, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Without Easter, Christmas is worthless. Put all the Christmas decorations away, right? Put the Advent wreaths away. No parties, just sin and death. How depressing. Heartbreaking. Hypothetical. Verse 20. But. (laughs) I always joke around how I like buts. I love buts. My point, though, is truly a, a hermeneutical one. How's that for a fancy word? When you study the Scriptures, learn to love contrast words. They matter. They come in the right places because God is gracious. And this one comes in the right place because God is filled with grace. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verses 12 through 19 are a heartbreaking hypothetical, but verse 20 is a glorious reality. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Think about this too in this Advent season. As Jesus is conceived by God in the Virgin Mary, He is in a dark womb, right? The dark womb of her belly. And I mean literally. It's literally dark. I don't know if you've been in a womb before, but it's pretty dark in there. Um, Get it? It it is. You probably don't remember. Thanks, Chelsea. I appreciate that. But it's dark in there. And then, right on Christmas Day, He's birthed out into the light, into the world. Same thing happens with the resurrection. He's buried in the dark womb of the earth. Three days later, gloriously pushed out into light. Jesus is born into light, and he dies, and he's born again through the resurrection to light. See, Adam didn't have that story. Adam sinned, died, was buried in the womb of the earth, and he stayed there. His bones rotted away. Jesus is raised to life. That's good news for us today, which brings us back to the Final Adam, verse 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, Adam, thanks Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Now, what we're looking to, what Paul is pointing us to, is the reality that Jesus' resurrection is your resurrection if you're a child of God. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the first advent, Jesus's, 
is the seal, your resurrection at the second advent. Advent means coming. Jesus came, lived, died, was buried, raised from the dead. Resurrection in the first advent. Jesus is coming again, and when He does, there will be resurrection in the second advent. This time it will be yours if you're a child of God. You live forever in the presence of God. That's what the Bible proclaims. And Christmas is a time where we can remember that. Paul kind of wraps up his thought in verses 23 and 24. It says, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits." Then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. It's not really that complex. It's just kind of written in a way that's maybe lofty. But He just means Jesus was the first one to experience resurrection. You'll be the second. Jesus had His at the first advent. You'll have yours at the second. Verse 24, then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, over destroying every rule and every authority and power. Second advent. Christmas. And Easter are inseparably linked. So when we talk about, when you see that theme, and it's in some, it's in other Christmas carols as well, of a second advent, or you see of a, of a final Adam, when you see that terminology thrown around, it has a deep theological cut through the entire trajectory of scripture meaning to it. And it's a personal meaning. You have hope. Beyond the grave. And this has changed the very essence of who we are as Christians. If you skip to verse 49 of that same chapter, you read this. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, the one who turned back into dust, we, were hit, we bore his image. He's, a, he's our big brother, Adam, the sinner who made us sinners. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That line, that poetic line that says, Adam's likeness now a face, stamp thine image in its place, that's where it comes from. You aren't going to look like Adam, the first Adam forever. God, even now, if you're a Christian, is making you look more and more like Jesus, and one day at the second advent, He's going to make you look just like Jesus. It's coming. The image of Adam replaced with the image of Jesus. Beautiful, which means, this is my favorite one as we close. Paul can say in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, (laughs) the God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet. You know you get to be a snake crusher too? Because of Jesus? Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I know that sounds like a fairy tale. But hear me today. Not only are you not going to die, you're a child of God. But in the second advent, you're going to dance on the devil's head. That's true, right? It's true as the seat you're sitting in. I know it doesn't sound that way. I know that's really hard to wrap your brain around and believe, but it's true. You're going to live forever, and you're going to be victorious over Satan and sin 
and all of those things. So Paul finishes that chapter when just in glory. He says, one day in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, you'll be invincible, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of sin, or the sting of death is sin, thanks to Adam, the first one. But the power of sin is the law, thanks to the second Adam. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a season of magic and wonder. It's all over the place, right? This Christmas this is a magical season. Why not go all in to the supernatural and believe today with all your heart that you're going to live forever, you're going to be victorious over sin, you're going to reign with Jesus. Let, it, let that be what you believe in the depths of your heart. Almost makes you want to sing it again, right? With the fourth stanza. Come, desire of nations, come. Fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. Final Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. How do we respond? Here's one application, but it starts with a consideration. This season is so programmed to celebrate, and it's everywhere and it's beautiful, that first part of Jesus' advent. The shepherds and their obedience and their worship. Mary's deep faith. I mean, even somewhat reckless and beautiful faith and belief in in God's promise and her deep humility. Joseph's humility and uh, faithfulness. The wise men come. Like all that stuff. We see those parts of the story everywhere around us during this season. And they're worthy of our deep consideration and full consideration. But do not forget the reality that Jesus' first advent was 30 plus years long. And it included as well His death, His burial, His resurrection. It included Him getting close to the broken and the sick and the lame. It included Him healing people and raising the dead, right? Like it included all of these things. When, when we celebrate a birthday, in particular if it's, it's for one of our children, we don't just remember that one day that they were born. We tend to, if you're anything like me, to remember, right, time passing by and all that, that has happened in their lives. When we celebrate Jesus' birthday, right? Let's remember all of His life this season. Additionally, if you are a child of God, you live between two resurrections. The first was Jesus's, and the second will be yours. So here's the question. And if I could make us all think deeply about this question, I would, but I can't. But I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit will, like, in some way, take this question and help you to practically, personally think about this. What would change in your life? Right now. What would change in your life right now if you had full faith? Full faith. Like with your whole heart. 
in Jesus' first Advent resurrection and in your second Advent resurrection. If you believed with your whole heart, every fiber of your being, that Jesus is invincible and that you too, because of Him, are invincible, what would change in your life? What would change in the the way that you uh, spend your time? What would change in your boldness maybe to share your faith? What would change in the way you prioritize your week? What fears would fall away? What grief would you be met by these realities in? What would it do about the way you spend your money or the, the way you value worship with the people of God? And on and on the list could go if we really wholeheartedly believe this. And if this sounds like scolding, I apologize. You have to trust my heart. And I want you to. That what I'm really doing is inviting me, myself included, into true, unadulterated freedom. Real freedom. The freedom of following an invincible Jesus as people who share in that same invincibility. What would change in your life today? That's what living between the two advents paves the way for, is for us to be people who are courageous and selfless and healthy and holistic and non-anxious and generous, healthy, persevering, renewed. The list could go on of all the abundant realities that can be yours by living between those two advents with your whole If Jesus, the final Adam, isn't raised from the dead, Christmas is absolutely worthless. But He has been raised. And that makes Christmas an annual battle cry of victory and a foretaste of the second advent. Might this profoundly and beautifully change us in the depths of our souls. Father, thank You so much. You sent Jesus and that He's coming back again. Thank you that through Jesus' death on the cross, we are spiritually set free from the death of of sin. And thank you that through Jesus' physical, real life resurrection, we are set free from the physical realities of death. Give us worship as we look back at the first advent. Give us hope as we look towards the second advent, and profoundly change our lives, that we would be people who live in the reality of resurrection, your son Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection. Might that change us as fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and children and brothers and sisters and neighbors and all the roles that we play, employees, all the things. May it profoundly transform who we are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.